Well, happy Resurrection Day and welcome to Friendship Baptist Church. What a joy it is this morning to come together and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Aren't you excited to be here this morning? The Bible says in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word that this speaks of is Jesus Christ. Today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the day that Jesus conquered death. On Friday, we came together and, and we celebrated Good Friday. We celebrated and remembered Jesus going to the cross. And on his journey toward the cross, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was mocked, and he was crucified. And all of this took place because Jesus took our place on the cross. He went to the cross and he died on that wooden tree for our sins. And I want you to know this morning that the story does not end there. It does not end with the cross and it does not end with that grave that, that they placed Jesus in. Because three days later, what happened? That stone was rolled away and Jesus rose. He is no longer in the grave for he is risen as the angel declared. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus predicted before his death, the resurrection, that, would, that he would conquer death and that he would rise from the dead. The promise we have from Jesus this morning is this, that if we place our faith and trust in him, we too can conquer death. We too can experience eternal life. Just as we watched Josh this morning baptized in those baptismal waters, that can happen with us. We can be given a new life in Christ when we die to our old life and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. On one occasion, one artist turned to a fellow artist in a spirit of indignation. He said, why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures of the one theme of Christ in weakness, Christ on the cross, and most of all, Christ hanging dead? Why do you concentrate on the passing episode as it were the last work, as if the curtain had dropped on him with disaster and defeat? The dreadful scene lasted a few hours, but the unending eternity, Christ is alive. The stone has been rolled away, and he rules and reigns and triumphs this morning, doesn't he? I want you to know this morning that you and I, we were created for eternity. We were not created for just the 20, 40, 80, 100 years that we live on this earth, we were created for all of eternity. One of my jobs that I have as a pastor, which is a very difficult job, is performing funerals. It is hard standing up here and commemorating the life of a loved one or a brother or sister in Christ. It is hard doing that, but it's also very rewarding knowing that whenever they took their final breath here on planet earth, 
they awoke in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. He said this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town, and spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I did a little research this week trying to figure out how many mist droplets does it take to form one raindrop. And according to um, a couple of websites that I came to, it takes anywhere between a million or millions of mist droplets to form enough weight for a single raindrop to fall from the clouds. And when you think about our life being but just a mist, or as some of your translation says, say a vapor, that's pretty astounding to think of. Our time on this earth is temporary at best. We are a mist or a vapor. One day we're all going to close our eyes. We're all going to take our final breath. And the question is this, when you awake into your eternity, will you awake in the very presence of Jesus Christ or will you be separated from him in a real literal place called hell? Within the scope of all of eternity, this life is a tiny mist or a vapor. Every headstone has a date that a person was born and a date that a person dies. In between those two dates is a dash. That dash is significant because that dash represents a life lived. That dash represents what a person has done with Jesus, whether they chose to believe in Jesus or reject Jesus. I've shared this illustration with you before, but we've got visitors here today, so if you've heard it, then just enjoy, okay? When I was in college, um, one of the hobbies that I had was I would get in my car and I would purposely drive to get lost, and then I would try to find my way back to Abilene, Texas. So it would depend. Different days I'd go north, some days south, some days east, some days west. And yes, I used my parents' money to, um, to, to, to do this habit. It was kind of weird and strange, but I would always make it educational. Okay, so anytime I'd come to a historical marker, I would stop and I'd read that historical marker. And on one of these outings, I came to a historical marker and I read that, um, that, that plaque. And it indicated that right up this White Rock Road was a, um, a war vet cemetery. And so I drove up this White Rock Road and I get out of my car and I walk through this cemetery. And I was looking for the oldest headstone. And as I was walking, I came across a headstone that has impacted my life more than any other thing that I've ever read outside of God's holy word. It said this, he lived his life as he died a Christian. He lived his life as he died a Christian. The reason that that has impacted my life more than anything else is because someone else wrote those words about that man's life. Someone else wrote those words because this man lived a life that represented Jesus Christ throughout his lifetime. And so they wrote on that headstone, he lived his life as he died a Christian, because they wanted everyone that walked through that cemetery to read those words and know that this father 
this son, this brother, this friend truly did live his life as he died a Christian. One day, every single one of us will take our final breath here on this earth. And when we do, the Bible makes it clear that we will awake into eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. In the book of Amos, Amos chapter 4, verse 12, we read, Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. This morning, if you were to die, are you prepared to meet your God? My prayer for you this morning is that you will know before you walk out of this place where you will take your final breath into eternity. I know in a room this size that some of you were literally dragged to church this morning. You are here because your parents dragged you or your spouse dragged you. But I want you to know this morning that it is a privilege to have you here. Thank you for allowing us this morning the opportunity to share with you the greatest news ever from God's word. This morning we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning that the resurrection did happen. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It's real. Notice point number one this morning. If you have your, your, your um, bulletin, just open that up, and we're going to begin walking through this bulletin together, this sermon outline. First point this morning is this. The tomb was found empty. The tomb was found empty. We're continuing our study through the book of Matthew, and so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 tonight, or this morning, I'm sorry. In Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6, we read this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. He appeared, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Since the beginning of time, it was reported that Jesus had risen from the dead. From the very beginning, when it was reported that Jesus had risen from the dead, the religious leaders began to spread a lie, saying that the resurrection did not actually happen. And we read that account. If you drop down and begin reading in verse 11 through 15, we read of this. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while he was still asleep and if while we will still still asleep and if this comes to the governor's ears we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble so that so they took the money and did as they were directed and the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Just hours after the resurrection, there's already two stories that are spreading about Jesus Christ. The first one is being spread by Mary and the other women that came to the, the tomb and heard the angel of the Lord declare that he is not here, but he is risen. The other story that is spreading is spreading as a result of the Roman soldiers. 
And if anybody had a firsthand account of what took place on this day, it was those Roman soldiers. I mean, just think about it. I can just imagine as those soldiers ran back into the city to tell the, the, the religious leaders what had taken place. I'm sure that they were very, very vivid in their description. They, they indicate that the ground began to shake and an earthquake happened right, um, right where they were standing. And I'm sure that they declared that, that an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and his appearance looked to be like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And I'm sure that they began to declare to these religious leaders that we were as dead men. We were aware of everything that was going on. We saw everything. We heard everything, but we could not speak and we could not move. And they share this with the religious leaders, and the religious leaders begin to panic. You know what the religious leaders did? The religious leaders did the only thing that, that, that would keep these men quiet. They bribed them. They paid these men off with money. And they said, instead of going out and declaring the glory of the Lord, we want you to go out and we want you to spread a lie about what had taken place. That, still, when I think about that, that blows my mind that these men witnessed the glory of the Lord descend from heaven. And they watched that stone roll away. And they saw with their physical eyes that Jesus was no longer in that grave. If there was anyone that would have had the ability to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ instantly and quickly, it would have been those Roman guards. But what happened? The love of money kept them from proclaiming the greatest news ever, that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, but he had risen. This was a lie that they spread, and that lie is still being spread today, isn't it? Notice this. Um, Here's what we can be certain of. The disciples did not steal the body of Christ. Why would the disciples who denied and abandoned Christ in his final hour steal the body from that grave? What did they have to prove? They were cowards in the final hours of Jesus's life. So they certainly would not have stolen the body of Christ to, to indicate and to start a lie that Jesus did rise from the dead as he declared. Plus, in order for them to have stolen the body, they would have had to overcome those Roman soldiers. And those Roman soldiers were not a bunch of weaklings. They were mighty warriors. And had the the disciples overpowered the Roman soldiers. Those Roman soldiers would have faced certain death for letting that body go from the grave. Now, the only reason they did not experience death that day is because the religious leaders needed them to do what? To spread a lie. That was the only reason that they did not see death that day. Some throughout history have claimed that the Jews or the Romans stole the body from the tomb. That is not true because the religious leaders and the Romans were front and center the day that Jesus was crucified. They witnessed with their very eyes Jesus take his final breath. And they witnessed with their very eyes that Roman soldier take that spear and, and shove it into to Jesus' side. And they witnessed that blood and that water pour out. They witnessed with their very eyes that Jesus Christ, in fact, were, was dead. And so they wouldn't have spread a lie about the death of Christ because they saw him 
died. There is no conspiracy to report here this morning. The tomb was empty. And when these ladies went to the tomb, they heard the angel of the Lord declare, he is not here, but he is risen. Notice our second point this morning. Jesus, following his resurrection, was seen by hundreds of people. Hundreds of eyewitness accounts. There are hundreds of eyewitness accounts. There's not one or two people that that said that they saw Jesus after his death. There were hundreds of people. Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. We read, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, what he was, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures, and, they, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Jesus was not just seen by a few. Jesus was seen by hundreds. The first one that I want us to see, that look at that Jesus was seen was um, Peter. There's Peter the denier. Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him not once, not twice, but three times before um, the rooster crowed. Three times. Of all the disciples, Peter must have been rocked the hardest by the death of Jesus Christ. Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ. There was no doubt about it in in Peter's mind. Jesus was not only God in the flesh to him, but he was also Peter's dearest friends. There was a special bond that was there between Jesus and Peter. Peter, post-resurrection, will have the privilege to be restored, not once, not twice, but three times by the Lord Jesus Christ. We read this account in John chapter 21. In John 21, verses 15 through 19, we read, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. It is said that Peter was crucified with his head being down and his feet upward because he said that he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter saw Jesus post-resurrection. The disciples saw Jesus post-resurrection. They saw him on the road to Emmaus. They saw him in the upper room. And they saw him on numerous occasions over the 40 days that Jesus spent on this earth post-resurrection. Another one that saw Jesus was James. Jesus' unbelieving half-brother. When Jesus walked this earth, James, his half-brother, did not believe that he indeed was the Son of God. But after the resurrection, 
James became a believer. James would go on and he would write the book of James that we read a few minutes ago. He would become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And James would also be martyred for his faith. Another person that would become a believer was Paul post-ascension. So after Jesus had ascended to take his rightful seat next to God the Father in heaven, Paul also became a believer in Jesus Christ. You know the story? On the, as, as Paul was traveling to the city of Damascus, he was going to arrest Jews. He was going to, um, to, to um, do whatever it would take to silence these Christians. He was, he was going, and if it required putting them to death, Paul was probably prepared to do that. And on the way to Damascus, Jesus appeared to Paul. And in that moment, Paul became a Christ follower. Another one that came a Christian post-resurrection was Thomas the Doubter, or Doubting Thomas, as most of us like to refer to him. Most of us in this room probably have a lot in common with Doubting Thomas, don't we? Man, we want to see physical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that was Thomas. We read here in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, we read, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark, of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You cannot deny firsthand testimony of what, um, of the resurrection story. There was another testimony that, that was written of the life of Jesus by a man by the name of Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian. And as far as we know, Josephus never became a Christ follower. But Josephus wrote these words some 1900 years ago. He wrote this, at this time, there was a wise man called Jesus and his conduct was good. And he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared 
to this day. Josephus was born just right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is considered to be one of the greatest Jewish historians to, to span a 200-year period, 100 years before Christ's death and 100 years after Christ's death. And this man reported that it was being spread amongst the Christians that Jesus Christ did in Deed, go to a cross and that he rose from the dead and he speaks of how, um, how Christianity was just exploding on, on the scene. This was being recorded by a, a Jewish historian. Notice our third and final point this morning. It's this. The authority of Jesus and the commissioning of disciples. The authority of Jesus and the commissioning of of disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, we read these words. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You notice what Jesus said in these words? Right before he ascended to take his his rightful place next to the Father in heaven, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Pastor John Piper wrote these words. He said, if this is true, speaking of all authority being given to Jesus Christ, he said, then today Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. He has authority over politics and government. He has authority over all armies and military might. He has authority over all industries and business. He has authority over science and education, all research and discovery and universities and college. He has authority over all entertainment and media, radio, TV, magazine, newspaper, internet, theater, and art. He has authority over all sports and leisures. He has authority over all natural phenomena, all weather and floods and volcanoes and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and global warming and ozone layers. He has authority over all planets and moons and stars and light and energy and motion and time. And therefore he has authority over our lives, health and disease, success and failures, life and death. There is absolutely nothing that Jesus Christ does not have authority over this morning. He has authority over all things right now. And right now, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus ascended and took his rightful place next to the Father. In Acts chapter 2, 33, Peter tells us that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 56, Stephen, as he is being stoned to death, cried out these words, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In Colossians 3, 1, we read, Paul tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, 2, we read, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right now, Jesus is on his throne, and he has been given authority over all things. He has been given authority over everything under heaven. He has been given authority over your salvation and my salvation. He is the only one that can save you and deliver you from your sins and guarantee you the gift of eternal life. John fourteen six. Jesus made this step 
declaration. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Do you know if you were to take your final breath this morning where you will spend eternity? I want you to know that God's word is true. And God's word speaks of the fact that you and I will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. There is no middle ground. There is no other ground. There is either heaven or hell. Are you a Christ follower this morning? Do you know where you would spend eternity if you were to die today? If you do not know Jesus this morning, then I want you to know that Scripture talks about a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. In this book is recorded the names of those who have repented of their sins and cried out to Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. And we read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says this, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me read that again. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, you can be certain that Jesus has authority to forgive you of your sins and grant you the gift of eternal life and write your name in the Lamb's book of life. What is keeping you this morning from trusting in Jesus? What is keeping you this morning from repenting of your sins and crying out to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? The Bible says that in order for a person to become a Christ follower, they must first admit that they are sinners and cry out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever admitted that you were a sinner? And a sin is this. A sin is anything that we do that separates us from God. Anything that we do that does not make God happy is a sin. And every single person in this room and every single person that's ever walked the face of this earth with the exception of Jesus Christ has been a sinner. Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say that some people have sinned. It says all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the first part of that verse says the wages of sin is death. Because of your sins and my sins, what we deserve is death. But because of the work of Christ on the cross, we can be certain of this. It says right there, right after that comma, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift that Jesus Christ wants to provide every single one of us in this room is the gift of eternal life. But before you can become a Christ follower, you must first repent of your sins. If you've never repented of your sins in this morning, I want to invite you to do that very thing. We must repent of our sins, and we also must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. John three sixteen, a verse that every single one of us in this room know. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know John three sixteen probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
Whoever believes in Jesus shall be given the gift of eternal life. John 14, 6, Jesus said again, read this a second ago, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. There is only one way for you and I to experience eternal life, for you and I to enter into the heavenlies, and that is through Jesus Christ. We read in, in John, I mean in Romans 10, 9, that we must confess that Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives. We read in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you repented of your sins this morning? Have you cried out to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? If you haven't done that, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make this morning. And I want you to know that God's word is clear, that if you become a Christ follower, your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. How do I know that? Because of what it says in Romans 10, 13. In Romans 10, 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you are saved, guess what? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, know that it was written with permanent marker. It will not be removed. It cannot be erased. That book is not going to be, that page is not going to be torn out of that book. You can be certain that by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be given a guarantee of eternal life. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I'm going to be standing here at the front. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I invite you to come and just say, hey, I don't know Jesus. Then I want to know Jesus. And I would love to share with you how you can experience eternal life. If you're here this morning, the Lord's leading you to become a member of Friendship Baptist Church. We invite you to come. It's a great church. Not going to find a friendlier church. Here's what I'll tell you. We're a church that loves Jesus. And we love this community. And we want to impact this community for Christ. If you're here this morning, you need to just come and kneel at this altar. And then I invite you to do that. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And whenever I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for allowing us this morning, this time, to open up your word and read the truth of your word. Father, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are indeed who you said you are. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. And Father, I pray this morning, if there is someone here that has never repented of their sins and asked you to forgive them of their sins, and they've never cried out to you and asked you to be their Savior and to be their Lord, I pray this morning they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, may there not be a single person that walks out of this place this morning not knowing for certain where they're going to spend eternity when they die. Father, just move right now. Speak to the hearts of men, women, students, and children in this room. If there's someone that does not know you, Father, draw them unto yourself this morning. Father, if there's someone here or a family here this morning that you're leading to become members of this church, Lord, we welcome them. And, Father, we just ask now that you move during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.